you will turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 23. And so we've learned a few things this morning, including that we do not know all the words to what a friend we have in Jesus. So that's your homework between this week and next week. So uh, we are thankful that you're here with us on this Lord's Day. Uh, this last week, some of you may know, uh, was the 230th birthday of Bloomfield Baptist Church. And so uh, we are thankful that the church has a strong history, a long foundation. Maybe you've seen those articles in the paper at times about uh, people who celebrate milestones, folks who live to be 100 years old, and uh, they usually ask them, you know, what's your secret? How'd you make it this long? And for a lot of them, uh, there's a steady diet. There's a regular practice. They talk about things they've done day in and day out for all those years. And for our church to be here for 230 years, and more importantly, to continue to be here in coming years, we we need a steady diet. We need regular practices. And one of those practices is coming to God's Word. That steady diet is to, to feed on the daily bread that God has indeed given us. And so here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, we do that by just walking through books of the Bible. And now we find ourselves walking through First and Second Samuel. And we're at a point in the, the history of Israel where uh, Saul was anointed the king, Saul has rebelled against God, uh, David has been anointed the new king, but there's not been really a, a public declaration of that yet. Saul is still reigning as king, and he is intent on killing David. And so we're now at this point in 1 Samuel where uh, David is continuing to flee and to run. In last chapter, uh, last Lord's Day, what we saw is that uh, in his running, he had had turned away from God, he had trusted in himself, he finds himself in a cave, but it's there that he turns back to the Lord and trusts in the Lord. And one of the many ways God blesses him there is he sends people to be around him. Uh, he sends his family to him, and not only that, he sends uh, 400 around him, these 400 men who come uh, to be alongside David. And we'll see that number grow in today's passage. And we see how God is continuing to shelter David, to protect David because David indeed is the Lord's anointed. That becomes clearer and clearer with every verse and what also grows in its uh, clearness for us is how opposed to the Lord's anointed King Saul is. And so we'll see that as we walk through this passage today. 1 Samuel 23 and out of reverence for God's word if you're able to if you would stand as I read this passage for us. And this is what God's word says. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kalah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kalah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kalah against the armies of the Philistines? So then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise and go down to Kalah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kalah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kalah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Kalah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kalah. And Saul said, 
God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to go to war, to go down to Kalah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul some seeks to come to Kalah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kalah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servants. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Kalah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kalah, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Kalah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among the strongholds at Horesh, in the hill country of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah to the south of Jesimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul heard that. He pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and all his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David, and his men were about to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place is called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. If you would pray with me. Father, we are reminded from your word this morning of your providence and your protection. We are reminded that the only safekeeping we have is to be with your anointed. 
And just as we've seen many times, we see in the text today how, how David is a picture of the Messiah, how he's a picture of the Lord. And so I pray as we consider this passage today that you might help us to consider if we indeed are trusting in the Lord, if our faith is in Christ, and if it's not, oh, I pray that it would be by the end of our time today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I've already noted a, a number of times, the Psalms are a great commentary on 1 Samuel. You know, 1 Samuel is a narrative. 1 Samuel is history. 1 Samuel tells us the facts, the who, what, why, where, when. But then we can go to the Psalms and we can read really about David's heart and David's mind and, and be able to process more of what's taking place in 1 Samuel. In the same way, we can do that with many other books of the Bible. For example, when you go to the Proverbs, you, you learn much about uh, Solomon, David's son. You learn much about this wisdom that God had given Solomon, and that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I think there's times when Solomon is likely, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thinking about events he's encountered, thinking about things he's heard about, thinking perhaps about things like what we read in 1 Samuel 23. And from this inspiration, from these reminders then, we have this wisdom in the Proverbs. As I was studying through our passage today, one of those Proverbs came to mind, and I'll read it in part to you this morning. It's Proverbs chapter 3, and perhaps a familiar passage to you. I'll read the first few verses there. Solomon says, My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So Solomon says to his child, listen to the lessons I've learned. And if you learn from these things, the Lord will bless you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And then he tells him this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And if you will do these things, Solomon tells his son, God will make straight your paths. Now those verses came to mind because as I I read through this chapter and over and over again. It, it, to me, it is a picture of that very thing. And so you'll notice your outline this morning really follows through that passage of Proverbs 3 because I think we have a, a real-life example of that, perhaps an inspiration that led to Solomon writing that before us this morning. And so I want us to consider that instruction that Solomon gives to his son as we consider how we see it in this passage, beginning with that first point in your outline. We are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, we know at this point in the story that David has struggled to trust the Lord at times. Now, this is not a picture of a perfectly faithful David. Now, we've certainly seen him trusting God. And we see him early on as that shepherd boy as he comes to the battle lines there and the giant 
uh, from Gath is taunting the armies of the living God. And we see in that moment how David is not trusting in his own hands, in his own might, in his own strength, but he's really trusting in God as he goes on behalf of the people to fight against that giant. And we see from there how David continues to trust in the Lord and, and how God anoints him through Samuel to be the next king. And we see that trust growing, but then we see him struggle in that trust as he's fleeing from Saul. And we see him struggling for that, in that trust as he, he lies to Ahimelech and, and he just continues to tell lies throughout his escape. But we see a turning in his heart there in the cave where he's returning to that trust in God. And now we see that trust growing even more. And how do we see that? Well, here David is, he's on the run, but he hears this news that the people of Kalah, that the Israelites who were in this city, are being attacked by the Philistines. And David, in response to that, he doesn't look at the sword of Goliath or any other sword and say, well, I'm just going to take this sword, I'm going to take them on. He doesn't look to that raiding army and say, well, we, we've got the strong people here. I've got an army now that's growing. We can take them on. No, the very first thing he does, verse 2 says, he inquired of the Lord. Now, you might wonder at this point, well, well how does he do that? <laughs> you know, we, we think in our context today of inquiring of the Lord that we, we go to the Lord in prayer. That's what we sang about earlier. We think of inquiring of the Lord as we, we open up God's Word and we want to see what God says that we might inquire of the Lord and learn His Word, His will. So how does David do that here? We know from the previous passage that one of the ways that God revealed His will to David was through the prophets. And perhaps the prophet Gad, the one who told him to go to Judah, perhaps he's still there with David and perhaps he's the one who tells him what the Lord is saying. And we'll see as this passage unfolds uh, another way that he'll go before the Lord using the ephod and what was there with the ephod to, to cast lots and consider the Lord's will. But the main point we need to take from this is not so much how he did it, but what he did. And he inquires of the Lord and the Lord tells him to go. But notice the response of his men. As we get to verse 3, the scripture says, now they're scared. Now, remember the context here. What has just taken place, or perhaps is in the process of still going on, is that Saul was enraged with Ahimelech and the priest of God who were at Nob, and he had sent, sent Doeg the Edomite to Nob, and, and Doeg had slaughtered not only Ahimelech and all the priests that were with him that had come before Saul, he had gone to Nob, and there was a massacre in that city. And every living thing in that city, every person, all their livestock, they were all obliterated and wiped out. And now David is on the run with his men, and he tells his men, well, the Philistines are attacking over here, and we need to go over there, and we need to save the people of Kalah. And their, their first fear is, how in the world are we going to do that? <laughs> David, you might have forgotten, we're, we're on the run right now. We're, we're running from danger. We're, we're fleeing from danger. Saul's got the upper hand. Saul's wiping out the people of Nob, where we're in no position to go and take on the Philistines. It would have been tempting for David at this point just to listen to the counsel of his men and to back down. 
After all, it's, it's not that long ago that he's there in the cave by himself. And that moment in the cave where he looks around and he says, he, he can't even sense that the Lord's with him. He, he's all by himself. He's desperate and he's alone. Well, now his family has come to him. Now these men have come to him. It would have been very tempting for David to listen to their voices. But what does he do? Verse 4 says he, he goes back to the Lord. He inquires of the Lord again, and the Lord is gracious with David. And he doesn't rebuke him for asking twice. He, in fact, gives David even greater assurance. He tells him that, that he will give the Philistines into David's hand. And so David takes this word back to his army, and they listen to him this time. They go, and they save the people of Kalah. They fight the Philistines, and they win. And that city and their harvest is saved. This is a picture, I think, of, of growth in David's life. He is growing in his trust of the Lord. When, when a crisis comes his way, rather than trying to take things into his own hands, he's learning to trust in the Lord and not on his own understanding. And friends, I think that's a lesson that we need to learn, and those are steps that we need to take. When we're faced with a crisis, when we're faced with a crossroads, the very first thing we need to do is what we see David do here. We need to seek the will of God. And we are blessed at this point in salvation history that we don't do that by casting lots, that we don't need a prophet to come and give a word to us, that we have the very word of God in front of us. And we can go to that word. We, we can meditate on that word. Blessed is the man, we read in Psalm 1, who meditates on the word day and night. And as we do that, there'll be times that we step away from the word and then we seek wise counsel from others. And, and we should do that. God gives us wisdom through the word and through others. But there may be times that others get it wrong. There may be the time that that, that godly counsel gives us uh, the wrong counsel, as David's men did here. We, almost, we, we always need to come back to the Word. And if people give us counsel that's opposite of what the Word says, we don't go with what they say, we go with what the Word says. Even if that means we're all alone. That's what we see David do, and I believe that's what we need to do as well. And there's a blessing that comes when we, when we trust in the Lord in this way. And when we don't do it, well, then we see we are leaning on our own understanding, which brings us to that second point in your outline. And that instruction we're given in Proverbs 3. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now here, as the passage unfolds, we have just, again, a contrast between David and Saul, between the Lord's anointed who's seeking to do the Lord's will and the one who is opposed to the Lord's anointed, opposed to the Lord's will. Verse 6 uh, reminds us that when Abiathar escaped from this slaughter that Saul had ordered, that he brought with him this ephod in his hand. Now, you may remember from our other studies that the ephod was sort of a, a sacred apron. It was part of the priest's uniform. And the high priest within this ephod had these two sacred stones there, or, or some objects, we don't exactly what they were, uh, the Urim and the Thummim. And these were used during this time by God's people to discern God's will. And so we've seen this already in 1 Samuel when they would cast lots, when they would go to seek the Lord's will, they would use this practice. 
And so here we have David again, seeking not to lean on his own understanding, but using these things to determine God's will. But compare that with what we read about Saul. And in verse 7, Saul learns where David is. And note his response here. God has given him into my hand. Now think about that for a moment. At this point, Saul is absolutely opposed to the Lord's anointed. Saul is living in opposition to the revealed will and word of God. Saul has just finished killing the priest of Israel. David has just finished saving the people of Israel. And yet here we have Saul, who is steeped in his wickedness and evil doing, because he learns the location of David saying, God has given him into my hand. Saul's declaration here is a reminder to us that we can become so blinded by our sin that we think God endorses our wickedness. And that's exactly what we see here in Saul. And that's exactly what we see in lives today. That's what we see as we study the pages of history. I've shared before about an, a, a picture of this that we saw during World War II. Uh, that evil regime of Adolf Hitler, uh, that Nazi regime who would go in and would slaughter millions of Jews. As you study history, you learn that many of them had a, a belt buckle on, and in German the words were inscribed, God with us. That this wicked army, these wicked men doing evil, atrocious acts went into that bearing a belt buckle that said, God with us. And friends, that's that a picture I think we see here of Saul who was so blinded by his sin that he can fool himself and even fool others into thinking that God is endorsing his wicked we may not be on the side of Hitler in history. We may not be even on the side of Saul and wiping out the priest of Israel and the wicked things he does. But, but know this, we can be so deceived by our sin today that we are fooled into thinking that God endorses our wickedness as well. I've had time and time again as a pastor where I've sat down with people who it was very clear from their own testimony they were living in opposition to the Word of God and clear violation of what the Scripture teaches us. And yet when called into account, when, when, when rebuked or just even gently admonished to consider that their life was in opposition to the revealed Word of God, I have heard time and time and time again people say to me, well, you don't understand, it, it's okay. God has let me know that this is okay. You see, God, God just wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy. And God has, has shown me time and time again that this is okay. You just don't really understand my situation. But, but if you did, you would see that God is okay with this, and you should be okay with this too. God has shown me this is okay. King Saul says, God has surely shown me 
that this is okay. But like us, Saul was wrong. And so often we are too. In fact, we're, we're given just this gem, this, this verse there in, in verse 14. You consider all this that Saul says, and then just kind of the, the voice of the narrator comes in in verse 14 and says, And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. <laughs> and so you've got the scene here of Saul and his wickedness. Well, surely God's given him into our hand. And then you've got the voice of the narrator saying, No, God did not give him into your hand, Saul. But we're reminded from the word that is deceived as Saul was by his sin and as deceived as we are by our sin, God is not deceived. In fact, the scripture says God will not be mocked by those foolish statements we make. We sow the wind, we reap the whirlwind, and that is coming Saul's way soon and very soon. And so on one hand, we have Saul who is blinded in his sin and thinks God is endorsing his wickedness. Why? Because he's completely leaning on his own understanding. And on the other hand, in contrast, we have David here who is seeking the Lord and trusting the Lord and God is revealing the will, his will to David. And so he takes the ephod, he takes the urim and the thummim, he's able to seek from the Lord his will and his guidance he learns that Saul is coming to him he learns that these people that he just saved they're not going to protect him they're going to hand him right over to Saul and so he takes these 600 and at this point they head out into the wilderness of Ziph which brings us to that third point in your outline that reminder from Proverbs 3 and from our passage today that if we follow the Lord and trust in him he will direct our steps Follow the Lord and trust in Him, and He will direct your steps. And so consider what's going on with David at this point. And he was alone in a cave. He cried out to the Lord. God sent to him his family. He sent to him these 400 men. Now they're on the run. Now they're being used by God to, to save these people of Kalah. And yet now Saul is still coming after him. And, and the very people he just saved are going to turn against him. So now he's on the run again. And perhaps at this point, David is growing a bit weary. Perhaps at this point, David feels like it, it's a broken record. It's Groundhog Day. It's the same thing over and over and over again. God, I'm seeking to do your will, but it seems like something always goes wrong. God, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? Perhaps he was asking the Lord, Lord, what am I even doing all this for? And then notice the Lord sends him more encouragement. Verse 15 his friend, that that brother in faith with him, Jonathan, comes to encourage him. Now, there's two things I want you to note about this encounter with Jonathan. The first is the clear declaration that Jonathan makes that David will be the king. We've seen uh, inclinations of this already. Early on in the relationship between Jonathan and David, we saw Jonathan take off his, his holy vestments and put them on David perhaps symbolically saying, I believe you're going to be the next king, but here there's a clear declaration made. The first one, really, since we saw Samuel make that declaration that David would be anointed the king. And along with that, Jonathan also tells him, my father knows this. Again, that's been hinted out, that's been inferred, but now this clear statement. Why now? Why at this point? 
Well, I believe it's because th this was the encouragement David needed. He, he needed the encouragement of knowing who he was. He needed the encouragement of knowing and being reminded of the plan of God. Friends, we, we need that same encouragement today. We need to be reminded that if we have put our faith and our hope in Christ, that we are in Christ Jesus. Well, we need the reminder in this, this ever-wicked world as we're surrounded by things that worry us and makes us anxious. We need the reminder that, that God has placed us in this world, but we are strangers in a strange land. That this world is not our home. That we are destined for a greater place, a new heaven and a new earth. We need a reminder as we watch people suffer and as we watch people go through just terrible things, as we encounter these things in our own life, we need the constant reminder that there's a day coming when all these things come to an end. And where do we find that reminder? Where do we find that encouragement? Will we find it in the Word of God? And we should find it among the people of God. And just as Jonathan comes as this great encouragement to David, so we should be coming to one another, often reminding one another of the great promises of God. That's the first thing we note here. Second, I want you to note this is the last encounter that we have between David and Jonathan in the Scripture. That this is their last meeting. This is the last time these two friends will come together and, and God uses this time as a great encouragement for David. And so now Saul continues unsuccessfully, we should note, to pursue David. Uh, again, just as the people of Kalal were ready to give David over, now he's run to the wilderness of Ziph and the Ziphites are no different. In fact, the Ziphites initiate going to Saul and saying, well, listen, uh, we've got David out in the wilderness. We know exactly where he's at. We, we can just hand him over to you. Just come down and get him. And you notice the way that, they, that Saul describes all these things. Again, he's the victim. Woe, woe is him. Well, I, I've heard of David. I, I've heard he's rather cunning. Well, no, Saul, you can't throw a spear across the table. That's the issue here. That's why you can't catch him. Over and over again, he, he describes David like, like he's the evil one and he's the cunning one. And, and yet, that's really the picture we have of Saul, isn't it? In fact, I don't know why this is the picture that came to mind, but as I was studying through this passage, I kept thinking about a, a childhood cartoon I watched many times. Perhaps you did as well. Wally Coyote and the Roadrunner. <laughs> if you're familiar with that, that, that cartoon, you've got this, this, this Groundhog Day of sorts, this repeating scene where, where Wally Coyote is always going to all these cunning plans to capture the Roadrunner, and he always fails. No matter what he orders from the, the Acme company, no matter uh, how he positions himself, no matter how many times he rehearses, every single time he can't catch the roadrunner. And that might not sound very spiritual, but that, that's a picture I got. And that's really, I think, a picture of what we have here. That's what Saul is starting to look like while he coyote. I mean, he can't catch him, no matter what he does. Every time he tries, he, he fails. Now he throws a spear across a dinner table, and he misses. Now he orders David into a situation that he just assumes any other person would be killed in. He puts him up against the Philistines time and time again, and he tries to stack the odds against him. 
And Saul fails. He finds out where he is. He has the upper hand. He's, he's trapped in this city. It's fortified. There's walls and gates. Surely God has given him to me. And he fails. He fails over and over and over again. Why? Because David is the Lord's anointed. And as David has already said, there, there is safekeeping with the Lord's anointed. He knows this, and well, Saul, uh, David's men are learning this as well. So, I want you to note here also in this passage as we wrap up here, notice David's men here. Saul is closing in. Uh, he's getting closer. This seems to be the time when there would be the most anxiety among the camp. And they're getting closer and closer. David and his men are fleeing. And just imagine for a moment what some of those conversations might have been like as they're running from Saul. As Saul's men are getting closer. As the David's men can, can look back and see the army of Saul approaching. And they see in front of them this mountain they're, they're going to attempt to go around. I would imagine some of those men said to David, David, where are we going? <laughs> and I would imagine David saying, just, just follow me. And then they look and they see that army, and now the army's closer, and the mountain seems bigger as they get closer to it, and, and they're probably looking back to David going, okay, we're going we're to follow you, but David, where exactly are we following you to? I mean, we came to the cave, and we trust that you're the king, and we've heard of, of Jonathan coming saying, you're the king, and Saul knows you're the king, and we want to be on your side, we want to be here with you, but, but where exactly are we going, and how are we going to get out of this mess? And I would imagine David saying, just, just follow me. And at some point someone's saying, but, but do you know where you're going? And perhaps David said, well, I know who I'm following. I'm following the Lord. You follow me. And the Lord's going to take care of us. Maybe, maybe that's a conversation you've had before with the Lord. Maybe you look around and it feels like one thing after another just keeps happening, things keep going wrong, and you just are looking to the Lord saying, Lord, I, I can't take it anymore. I, I need to know what's going to happen next. What, where are you taking me, Lord? And you read through the scriptures, and what does Jesus say? He says, he says follow me. And it's interesting, if you, you go through the Gospels and you notice when Jesus says that, he doesn't give a lot of detail. He simply goes to those who he's calling and he says, follow me. In fact, there's times when they ask the question, now where exactly are you going? And what does he say? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Just, just follow me. Friend, I think one of the lessons we have in front of us this morning is that, that God doesn't make it crystal clear to us what's coming. That we might know the end of the story, but we don't know the next chapter and verse. And I think that's, that's gracious of God. Because I wouldn't want to know. And I don't think truly you want to know either. But there's, there's times when we just feel like, well, we need to know and we deserve to know. And, and God, I will follow you, but I really need more detail here. And the detail we're given simply is follow Jesus. 
Trust in Jesus. Follow Jesus. And I think that's a picture here. And so, so these men, they follow David with probably little detail. And lo and behold, as Saul's army gets closer and God's providence, he sends the Philistines, he uses this wicked army to go against uh, Saul's home and Saul's people. And so Saul immediately has to stop in his pursuit of David and, and turn around and go back and fight the Philistines. And so here are David's men, perhaps many of them groaning and complaining, thinking that they're in a situation that's going to end very poorly, wondering why they can't just take up arms and fight. Why can't they just turn against the Saul and his army? And David's like, no, just keep following me, following me. God's going to deliver us. God's going to deliver us. And lo and behold, they look, and the army's going the other way, and they look back to David, and he says, God delivered us. <laughs> in fact, that they named the place the Rock of Escape. And that's significant. You see this at times in the Scripture, this naming of places. And that's because when they would pass by that mountain, when future generations would come, and when they would go by, they'd say, okay, this is the rock of escape. And the kids would say, well, that, that seems to be a peculiar name. Why do we call that the rock of escape? And then their parents say, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you how God delivered David. Let me tell you about how God delivers his people friends let me tell you what a great deliverer jesus is he is our escape he is our refuge he is our hope and our call this and every lord's day is to put our trust in him he may not give us all the details but he has given us the command today to follow him the question is will you Let's consider that as we go before the Lord in prayer and response to his word. If you would, pray with me. Father, you have issued to us a clear call in your word to follow Jesus. And so I pray that we would. We, we see a picture here of, of your anointed, of David, who, who is following you and, and trusting in you in the, in the midst of trial, in the midst of pursuit by his enemies, in the midst of suffering and hardship. And yet at this point in this story, he continues to trust and he continues to follow. Lord, I, I pray that we would do that as well. And I pray that we would be reminded over and over and over again as we walk through your word that, that the only true safekeeping we have is the trust in the Lord's anointed, the trust in Christ. And so if there's any one here today who's yet to put their hope in Jesus, their trust in Jesus. Well, I pray today that they would. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, if you would stand as we come into this time of response and as we sing. And we're going to sing about putting our hope in Christ, about that, that rock of ages that we find in the gospel. And as we sing this, we invite you to lift your voices. We invite you to respond. That response may be a a public profession today of your faith in Jesus, of your trust in Jesus. It may be following through on that public profession by an even more public profession of baptism and obedience to God's word. It may be that God's leading you to come and start the process of joining this church family. It may be you just need somebody to pray with you. That maybe you feel, when you're reading this passage, like I can identify with David's man. I feel like I'm just running. And I'm weary and I'm worn out. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you today and be reminded of the hope we have in Christ. We invite you to come.
whatever your response may be as we lift up our voices and sing about this rock of ages.